This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Coronial contains descriptions of death inquests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. It's going to be a compilation episode. We're going to be talking about the inquest into the death of Adeline Leong Yi Huey. She was ejected from her seat on the Air Max 360 amusement ride. She was eight years old at the time of her death, which occurred in September 2014 at the Royal Adelaide Show. Emax was imported into Australia from Spain in 2013 by their Australian-based owners. According to the business plan, the Emax needed to be open to the public 13 hours a day during the multiple shows that it operated, with a patronage of about 58% capacity, which would generate a per-day income of about $26,000 in order to be profitable. The design registration was never completed. After the PR was issued, it was never examined by authorities again until after Adeline's death ride should not have been allowed to enter the showgrounds. Hi everyone and welcome back to Coronial. I'm Emma. I'm Georgie. And I'm Alice. So I'm just going to talk to you about a few of the other people's experiences of the Air Max at the Royal Adelaide show. So the coroner obtained some information from multiple different people who'd been on this ride and I haven't included all of them but I'll go through some of them. And this is in the six or so days before Adeline's death. So many people said that there were issues with the ride not working properly or being closed for repairs. And on multiple occasions, they saw a man going to the centre turret during rides, which is quite dangerous, to fix something while the ride was happening. And this, my understanding was, these are information from the Adelaide show, but this had happened at other shows as well. Yeah, I believe so. Faults for the ride at other shows. Yeah, I just, I don't think for the other shows they went into too much detail with getting people to come in and give evidence. Yeah. There were also many reports of the harnesses being quite high and people sliding down in their seats during the ride. Mm-hmm. A woman went on the ride with her five year old daughter who was 123 centimeters tall. She questioned the staff about whether her daughter was physically big enough to be on the ride, to which they replied that the bar going over her legs would stop her from falling out. Oh my gosh. This mother was concerned when the ride became violent and jerky and noticed her daughter being thrown around like a rag doll for about 30 seconds before she could hold on to the restraint again. So I think obviously her daughter was holding on to the harness, but as she was being thrown around, she let go of it and then was a little while until she could hold on to it to sort of steady herself a bit more. So a patron took a video of the ride on the 6th of September because he noticed some problems with it before his wife and his niece got on the ride. So he actually filmed the ride that they were on. So the video showed the male owner present in the centre turret during the ride, and that centre turret housed the air tank hoses and the electrical panels, which are two core systems of the ride. The ride stops multiple times during the ride, and the ride operator is also seen going to the centre turret. So clearly there were issues with the way the ride was operating. A 14-year-old girl and her younger brother were on the ride when she noticed her brother's harness and the harness of another young girl raised up to the limit of the seatbelt. So obviously they were creeping right, stretched up. Stretched right out, yeah. yeah. The seatbelt was the only thing holding yeah. it down at that yes. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She shouted to the attendant and the arms were lowered and the harnesses pushed back down by the attendant before the ride was Oh, happy days, again. press on. Oh, yep. my goodness. I'd be like, get me off the ride. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, okay, cool, I'm out. Thank you, Yeah, bye. I'm good. Yeah, so that's just a bit of background into clearly there were lots of issues going on before Adeline had her ride. Yeah. 
Cool. So now I'm going to go through some of the other issues with the Air Max, including the assembly, inspections, harnesses, restraints, and the, the training of the people who actually operated the Air Max, which, surprise, surprise, wasn't great. Training is a loose term. Very. As Emma mentioned, the Air Max was bought from Safeco in June 2012, but didn't actually arrive in Australia until April 2013. So that's quite a delay from yep. them buying it to them actually it arriving in Australia. Was it brand new? I have I, no idea. I think so. Okay. I mean, I, I would assume so. It's a manufacturer, yeah. but you never know. Like, yeah, no, I think it was new. Hand. So when the ride arrived and cleared customs, the owners were keen to get it set up and earning money, obviously, because there'd been such a large delay, they needed it to be making money mm. immediately. Because they had paid for it. Yes. Mm. That eight months earlier or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They needed to start their payback plan on the loan. Yeah. So they were expecting the company to send a technician to Australia with the ride to help them assemble it, but that actually never happened. So that was not the owner's fault. They were of the understanding that Safeco was going to send a technician to help them set it up for the first time and teach them how to do that. Did they not ask? It doesn't go too much into detail of, I think they probably followed up with them, but the ride was already there and they already needed it to be making money, yeah. so they couldn't wait for someone to be sent from Spain. Yeah, I also have some interest in how the legislation and like duty of care and all that kind of stuff comes back to the manufacturer in this case. A bit um, difficult because it's an overseas manufacturer. That's what I mean. Mm. And so like, there's some really interesting things that Safeco have done in this mm. that I find, yeah, mm-hmm. mind-blowing. Yep. So because there was no technician to help them set it up for the first time, there were a number of issues that the owners had to email Safeco about. So some of these issues they had to email about were not being able to get the four highest spaces out, what the model and serial number was of the ride because they couldn't find it, what parts of the ride were left to be sent, which indicates that some parts were missing when the ride was first shipped over, some problems with hooking up the hoses, which links into the air tanks, rust being on some parts of the ride already, the electronic control panel just having issues with that, The maintenance schedule, so how often they were needing to maintain it, Mm -hmm. and also how tight the bolts needed to be. (laughs) It's like pretty (laughs) rudimentary stuff, right? Yes. You, you, yes. I'm like glad they were clearing this up. But should this be tight, tight? Or Or just loosey tight? It's (laughs) very concerning when that ride is spinning at however many revolutions a a minute, (laughs) and spinning in multiple planes. Uh, so the coroner found that the owners should not have been expected to assemble the ride for the first time on their own. Mm. So that was one thing like where the coroner yeah. was pretty clear. Okay, so we talked about the design registration and plant registration before. The Amex needed an inspection to obtain the DR and the PR, and this was carried out from the 6th to the 8th of May 2013 by a qualified engineer, Mr. R.B., Three of the emails the owner sent Safeco about the assembly also occurred on the 6th of May, 2013, mm-hmm. which was the first day this engineer was there to inspect the assembled ride. He wasn't there to help them put it together. He was there to inspect it after it being, after it being assembled. Yeah. And this was separate to the DRMPR. This was a, an in, this another was, portion of getting it registered? Yeah, there should be an initial inspection to help you get the DR and the PR. That's right. But this engineer wasn't there to do the DR and PR. He was just there to do the inspection of the ride. Yep. So the coroner found that this inspection was deficient and became a core but inaccurate reference point for future inspectors and regulators. After he'd done his inspection, everyone else was assuming his inspection was done correctly. Yeah. 
And so they're working off of the fire. Yeah, off of a, yeah, yeah, a bad baseline, essentially. Yeah. The first inspection that was being done from the 6th to 8th of May is known in the industry as a commissioning inspection, but this term isn't actually found in the Australian standard. It was defined at the inquest as the first inspection of any amusement device before it's available to the public and should involve a full inspection, including the electronics, by an electrical engineer, helping to fill in the logbook and working out the maintenance regime for the ride. Which is one of the questions they'd already had to ask Safeco. Yes. So Mr. RB confirmed that the logbook was completely blank when he first looked at it. He emailed the lead engineer, Mr. B., on the night of the 6th of May, stating that he had rated it as a Class 3 ride and provided a restraint formula that totaled 12. What does a Class 3 ride mean? I think it's just to do with the way the ride operates, like the forces that are on you, like essentially how extreme the ride is. Mm -hmm. So he was saying it was a Class 3. That must be high intensity, right? Or at least I'm I'm not sure. I don't know what it goes up to, but yeah, it would be a reasonably intense ride ride. yeah i was gonna ask stepping back a section the logbook was empty is that how one would expect it to be i don't know what the answer there is is there stuff that's meant to have been filled out by the manufacturer i would have thought logically i would have thought like the model number and the serial number should have have already been been on there but for whatever reason and i don't know what the standard is for them yeah So at the inquest, Mr. Arby admitted that one of the factors in his formula was incorrect and it should actually have totaled 14. I think it was only after it was pointed out to him. Yes. A total of 14 means that a type 5 restraint is necessary and that's the highest level of restraint under the Australian standards. Mm -hmm. By the time the inspection was completed, Mr. Arby assumed that the design registration hadn't been completed, which was correct because it was never obtained partly due to the air tanks not having their design registration. So the air tanks needed their own design registration before the Amex could get its design registration, but the logbook noted on the 8th of May that a design registration was obtained for both the Amex and the air tanks, and that takes us back to that falsely obtained DRN. So the design registration and the plant registration were never obtained by Mr B, even though that is what the owners approached him to do. And we obviously had that contention about where it came from and And how it got there. Yeah. So there were three documents that were prepared by Mr. Arby that were investigated as part of the inquest. Document one was called a record of annual inspection of amusement device. And it assumes that a design registration had already been obtained. The design registration section of the form was left blank with a note that read new ride await registration. The document was not set up for a commissioning inspection being that first inspection And it contained various items such as previous operation history and inspections which weren't applicable at the time, but which had been ticked off. So essentially they're using a form that was meant to be the regularly scheduled inspection, not Mm -hmm. the first inspection. And it sounds like he's done a tick and flick without really thinking Mm -hmm. about what he's actually approving in his review. Yeah. He's just like, yep, cool, cool, cool. I can see how that could easily be done if this is what you do all day, every day. Yeah. And that he feels confident in terms of his inspection, but I guess Mm. also at the same time, clearly... A bit misguided. Yeah. So the document also had a ticked item that stated the electrical installation is safe to use or operate. Mr. Arby said he assumed a full electrical inspection had been done prior to the 6th of May because he saw an entry in the logbook saying electrical contractor 
and did not confirm this with the owners. But he also said the logbook was, it was empty. It's yeah. empty, yeah. Okay. So okay. there's contradictions sure. there. All right. No electrical inspection had occurred at all. Mr. Arby agreed that he should not have signed the document at all or provided it to the owners for the logbook because clearly it was inadequate and incorrect. Yeah. I would agree. Yep. Document two was called Device Setup Details and Loading and Operating Restrictions and was only partially completed. Mr. Arby originally wrote on the form that the minimum height for the ride was 110 centimetres, mm-hmm. but this was then erased with whiteout and 120 centimetres was written by Ms. S. Okay. The only source for this information was the owners, and Mr. Arby didn't do any research himself as to what the minimum height should be. So he was taking their word for it. Mm-hmm. So he stated that he thought it was acceptable for ride owners to fill in the details on the form as long as they were correct. Mm. Well, yes, as long as they are correct. Yes. But he's not confirmed that. There's really, there's a lot of incorrect information (laughs) on forms going on. Mr. Arby couldn't find any documents which stated the recommended operating speed of the ride, but the form was filled out with 10 revolutions per minute. He did not attempt to find out the recommended operating speed, which was actually 8.5 RPM. Safeco also recommended that the speed be lowered if there were mostly children on the ride and Adeline's ride was set to 10 RPM. Document 3 was called Ride Restraint and Loading Plan Assessments. It was signed by Mr. RB as the inspecting engineer, but he allowed the owners to make changes to it after he had signed it. He gave them permission to change it? Or they changed it post? Both. So for the questions okay. about the minimum height requirements, mm-hmm. he wrote TBA, mm-hmm. relying on the owners to get back to him about the height that Safeco specified. Okay. Uh, but then Ms. S wrote in 120 centimetres herself. Okay. okay. Uh, he didn't use the height information from document two, where they had 110 and it white out, because he was uncertain about the accuracy of that information. That raises some flags. Yes. He wasn't 100% convinced that it was accurate, but still didn't do his own research to figure out what it would be. He relied on the owners. Okay. Yep. The document also contained the formula error for determining the restraint type needed for the ride. It was noted as type 4, but should actually have been type 5. The Air Max wasn't fitted with type 5 restraints, and investigators found that they weren't even compliant with type 4 restraints. (laughs) So even if you were working on his incorrect total being correct, they still didn't meet that standard. Mr. R.B. admitted that he couldn't have made a proper assessment of the restraints because he didn't know the minimum height of the people who would go on the ride. He also should not have classified the restraints as part of the commissioning inspection because this was a matter for the design registration, which was never completed. So again, raises a flag of like, why has this not already happened? Because shouldn't this have happened based on... Well, I think this inspection was how you got the design registration, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't actually do it properly without having the design registration. Very confusing. Mm. Yep. Mr. Arby ultimately classified the inspection as a structural visual inspection, not a commissioning inspection or an annual inspection. So even though he's using some of the paperwork for an annual inspection, some of the paperwork for a commissioning inspection, in the end he's like, yeah, it was more just I looked at it to make sure it was structurally sound. Which it wasn't anyway. (laughs) (laughs) No. And this was the basis for all other inspections and it was fundamentally flawed. That he had never inspected anything with a type 5 restraint anyway? 
Uh, no, I don't mention that. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So like he also so was he's unqualified. So when when questioned about knowing what a type five restraint involved, he also then said he had never inspected a type five restraint or it was. Did not he of know the how to inspect? No, no. So he said if I was asked to do that, I would not be able to, and so I'd have to ask someone else to do it. Yeah, because I think the rides he'd looked at before only right. had a max of type four. Yeah. So he, he was not qualified. He was not qualified to, to do the inspection. He wasn't qualified to do a type five restraint inspection anyway. So had he calculated the number correctly, he would have had to have then been like, okay, I can't I can't do the rest of this. Which then oh, means gosh. that maybe the inspection would have been done correctly. Maybe. Like if someone else I had mean, been involved, yeah, potentially. they might have picked up on some of the stuff. Yep. We'll never know. Yeah. So harnesses and restraints. So the restraint for each seat had a three-tiered locking system. Each seat had an over-the-shoulder U-shaped rigid harness, which connected to the top of the seat via a common shaft, which had a primary and secondary lock system. Both of these lock systems were hidden when the access covers on the top and the back of the seat were in place, so you wouldn't see them normally when you're on the ride. There was also a latching crotch belt which attached from the front base of the seat vertically up to the bottom of the rigid harness. The primary and secondary lock systems were controlled from the operator console for either lock or release. The positioning of the harness was manual with either the patron or the ride attendant pulling that restraint down so that over-the-shoulder restraint would come down over your head. Either you would pull it down or the attendant would pull it down. The latching crotch belt was manually engaged or released by the patron or the ride attendant. So they would come along, make sure you're buckled in. Yeah. As previously mentioned, the restraints on the Air Max were type 4 at best, which were not compliant with the Australian standards for the ride because it needed type 5 restraints. As the owners imported the ride into Australia, it was their legal responsibility to have the restraints be compliant with the Australian standards. It should also have been picked up during the assessment that Mr. Arby made, except his formula was incorrect. So ultimately it was up to the owners to make sure that the restraints were compliant with the Australian standards, mm-hmm. but it also should have been picked up during that first inspection. Yeah, And I mean, I think that's really hard as an owner to know, like you're relying on those industry specialists to give mm-hmm. you advice yeah. about that stuff. So mm-hmm. I can understand how they could not know. Yeah, well, interestingly, the lead engineer, Mr. B, was engaged by the owners for the DR and the PR, mm-hmm. but he wasn't hired before the purchase to check that the Air Max could be operable and compliant with the Australian standards. So he was brought in after the fact, after, the after they'd already bought it. But they had someone had advised them about what type of ride to buy, right? That Was that just the broker, though? I, the broker, I feel like yeah. it was that. Yeah, that was just the broker, the loan broker, who That's just said right. purchase from Safeco. Yeah, so the broker was looking at, like, the monetary side of, like, Correct. if you run it this often for this much, blah, blah, blah. So they weren't really yeah. looking into the, the engineering perspective. Okay, yeah. So from that, it seems like they probably should have had an engineer that they'd hired before they purchased it. Yeah. To make sure that whatever they were importing was actually able to be used in Australia. Yeah. But they didn't do that. Okay, so let's have a chat about the minimum height for the Air Max at the Royal Adelaide Show. Mm-hmm. So the minimum height for patrons to be unaccompanied on the Air Max at the Royal Adelaide show was 120 centimetres. It's not in question by the coroner that people involved in the amusement industry, including the owners of this ride, knew that the minimum height was set by the manufacturer. It wasn't something that the owners of the ride would ever choose themselves. It was set by the manufacturer. 
the owners said that they were told in Spain by Safeco that the minimum height was 120 centimetres. But this is in direct contradiction to the written communication from Safeco to the owners in October 2012. So the Safeco manual was a bit confusing because it was translated from Spanish to English. Mm. But the owners, they recognised that they weren't sure of what the minimum height should be. So they got clarification from Safeco via email and that clearly explained that the minimum height for an accompanied patron was 120 centimetres and unaccompanied was 140. So accompanied meaning you should have your adult or guardian next to you on the ride. Which I find very interesting because I don't understand how that affects harnessing. Yeah, how are you going to yeah. help the person? Like just because someone's sitting next to you doesn't mean you're not going to be ejected from the ride. It doesn't make any sense as to how there could be a difference just based on Mm-mm. whether you have a supervising adult or not. Not in terms yeah. of the legitimacy of the harness. I just don't yeah. see how that yep. changes anything. No. Yeah, I'd be really interested to know what the – How they set that height. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, in the 2013 Sydney show that the ride was at, the height instructions from Safeco were adhered to by the owners. So even though they're saying that they didn't know or they thought it was 120, there was an email saying this is what it is and they actually used the manufacturer's minimum height in another show. Okay. I would be very interested to see numbers of patrons on the ride pre and post that. Yes. We'll get to that because obviously – the lower the height is, the more people who are eligible That's to go right. on the ride. Absolutely. And the more mm-hmm. money you can make. Mm-hmm. Potentially, yeah. So in September 2013, the ride was at the Royal Melbourne Show with a minimum height of 120 centimetres and there were reports of 22 injured people over three days. So because of those injuries, an amusement ride specialist engineer, Mr G, assessed the ride and found that small patrons didn't seem to be able to hold themselves in the ride properly, mm-hmm. so were being thrown around inside the restraints. So even though they were restrained, there was a bit too much room and they were being thrown around inside there. So what types of injuries were they seeing? Were they sort of like whiplash? We didn't go into that much detail of okay. what types of injuries. That's a lot of injuries for one ride, for one show. In three days, <laughs> yep. So this engineer felt that the 120 centimetre height minimum was inappropriate and verbally told the ride operator that the height be raised to 140 centimetres. He noted that there were a lot of children and teenagers going on the ride, so his advice was that if the patron didn't fill the seat or could be thrown around, they shouldn't be let on the ride to begin with. Mr G remembered that a representative of the show was present when he was giving his recommendations. When interviewed in 2021, this representative's memory was generally the same as the engineer, but he didn't recall the specific recommendation about 140 centimetres. You know, we're talking eight years after it happened. You're probably not going to remember exactly what was said. He didn't take any notes at the time, so was just relying on his memory. The ride operator, so that was at the time. That was Mr. BM, yeah? Yeah, Mr. BM was the ride operator at that show too. He apparently had no memory of this inspection or being told that the height needed to be raised. Uh, which the coroner had their doubts about. Mm-hmm. Yep. On the 23rd of September 2013, while the ride was still at the Royal Melbourne Show, a nine-year-old girl went on the ride, which had a minimum height of 120 centimetres, and reported a neck injury afterwards. WorkSafe Victoria attended and made a formal report, which resulted in the ride operator being retrained for four hours under the supervision of the owner, the minimum height for the ride being raised to 130 centimetres. 
Again, interestingly, Mr. G, who had also inspected the ride, didn't speak to WorkSafe Victoria. So even though Another two separate yeah, entities had just... inspected it, they didn't speak to each other. And so WorkSafe Victoria didn't know that someone else had already recommended that it be raised mm. and it wasn't. Yeah, and that they hadn't followed that recommendation. Yeah. So during the inquest, the owners of the ride admitted that they had made a mistake by keeping the minimum height at 120 centimetres for the Royal Adelaide show because prior to Adelaide, they did know that it should have been higher. Yes, many occasions. Yes, multiple multiple times. ways that they could have known that. But yep. they, they knew because they emailed the manufacturer. Yes. They knew because they'd set it at that height at one of the shows and they yes. knew because they'd been told on at least one occasion they knew of. Let's assume yep. that Mr. Probably BM more. didn't pass on the, the one on he didn't remember. Yep. They still had WorkSafe yep. come and actually investigate yep, that particular show. Uh, the owners acknowledged that the higher the minimum height was, the less tickets could be sold. So conversely, the lower it is, yeah. the more tickets you can sell. Mm-hmm. So clearly there was a financial motivation to keep the minimum height at 120 centimetres to be able to sell more tickets and make more money. Yep. So Adeline's height at postmortem was 137 centimetres and she was of average build. She was wearing boots on the day of the ride, which police measured as having a heel height of about 30 millimetres which in theory elevated her height to a maximum of 140.1 centimetres. Video footage of Adeline showed her walking up the access stairs and across the deck of the ride like she was walking on stilts. And there was also no evidence that she was measured before the ride. So if Adeline was measured without her shoes on, she did not qualify to be on the ride unaccompanied, according to Safeco standards. Unfortunately, that wouldn't necessarily have stopped this from happening, even if she had been accompanied on the ride, because all of the issues with the harnesses and restraints. So this is a very interesting and dodgy part. So the page of the Safeco manual which stated the minimum height was never found in the logbook for the Air Max. That page of the user manual was missing. And so that was incredibly significant because it meant that the inspectors and engineers didn't have access to that information when they checked the logbook. Because if it had been there, they would have looked at the logbook and seen that this was the height and been like, okay, well, this is what you need to be following. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't there for them to refer to. And I'm guessing there's no evidence of when? Ooh, this is where it gets even better. Okay. So after Adeline's death, this page of the user manual turned up in triplicate in a separate green folder belonging to the owner's son and was given to authorities the day after Adeline's death. So neither of the owners could say why this page was in a separate folder and gave evidence that the user manual and logbook were always with the ride and nothing had been deliberately left out. Mm, Certainly not. Yeah, so the coroner found that that page of the manual was deliberately not made available to inspectors and regulators so that they wouldn't find out what the manufacturer's minimum height was. But how did this manual come, like, had they torn it out or was it like just separate pages? Well, it sounds that like they it printed. was probably like a printout, yeah. Weird. And they just, yeah. And it was also translated from Spanish to English. So, yeah, just the fact that the that page just wasn't there. No one who looked at it 
Was it, did it have page numbers? It, like, well, I'm just thinking that. Like, wouldn't they have noticed? But I guess they're not. Well, just, they're not sitting they're there, not like, combing through pages, the whole thing. But, but still, if you're specifically going through looking for the height requirement, and you're one, not was there not, it? like, a contents at the beginning of the manual? Mm. Was there not a standard stepwise thing that you'd be like, oh, the height requirement probably would fit in this part of the document? You would think Why so. Can't you would I think that it? these inspectors would have some knowledge of just what's included in an amusement ride inspection. But it makes me think that they've just never been provided with the manufacturer's manual because a lot of that like first engineer who did the commissioning inspection inspection seems like he was never even provided the manual Mm. no and like potentially it was after that inspection that they put the manual in the log together yeah but again it just seems like why would the first guy have never looked at the manual and then maybe again because that first thing has been ticked off. No one ever bothered to ask yeah. about the manual, all that yeah. kind of stuff. But them claiming that the manual was always stored with the logbook also yeah. just does not make sense by no. the amount of inspections that we talk about have yeah. insufficient information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mr. N was an engineer hired by SafeWork to review the Air Max in terms of its restraints and the height of the patrons. He did some reenactments and tests with two 10-year-old girls who were over 120 centimetres, so they were 140 and 143 centimetres. He found that even with both the primary and secondary lock systems engaged, the girls were able to move out between the restraint harness and the right-hand side of the seat. Oh, so like, yep. Sort of around to the Mm -hmm. side of the harness. Both the girls could also climb out through the front centre section of the harness. Mm. Oh, so they could position their shoulders like in and out. Yeah, they could they could fit their body in that through that U. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Inside, like the open bit of that U to get out of the ride. This fact meant that even though they could be on the ride based on Safeco's minimum height limit, which we'll get to a little bit later, the restraints were not adequate to keep them safe. Mm. So they they could be on the ride according to Safeco's guidelines, but it still wasn't safe for them because they could still get out of I wonder which chairs that was tested on. Yeah, I have a feeling they – I would have thought they would have done it on the same seat she was in, but I'm not sure. Okay. So now we'll talk about the training and the actual operation of the Air Max at these shows. So Mr. W, the male owner, seems to have been trained in the operation of the ride by Safeco when the owners visited Spain in June 2012. The training logbook showed that Mr. W trained and assessed all three other ride operators, including Ms. S. Somewhat, some, what, eight, nine months after, after the f- he learned on a ride in a different country. Yes. And then built his own, remembered himself and then taught other people. Yes. Okay, cool. Yep. yep. That's Going on. That. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, interestingly, it's recorded that Ms. S was trained on the 3rd of April, 2013. But the month and year for the entry are in purple pen and the day is in blue pen. And it arrived in Australia. Yes. It didn't arrive into Australia until the 3rd of April, which was the same day. And it wasn't assembled until the 4th of May. Yes. So she was trained on a ride that had only arrived that day and wasn't set up yet. Yep. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Um, When asked about this in the inquest, Ms. S claimed that she either made a mistake or guessed the date when she filled it in. I would have thought you would have been filling that in as At the you time go. of mm-hmm. doing the training. Yes, you would think so. Okay. But the fact that it was in two different colored pens. A bit odd. Yeah. So there was one main operator for the ride from 2013, Mr. BM, 
and he was the one operating Adeline's ride at the time of her death. He had been working in the amusement ride industry from a young age and considered minimum heights as the most important consideration when allowing people onto rides. He believed the correct way to measure a patron was without their shoes on, and he discouraged patrons he thought had unsuitable builds, so either extremely thin and or child or heavy. He was involved in the maintenance of the harnesses and stated that hydraulic oil was bought and put into the hydraulic cylinders of the harnesses, and these would be topped up once every couple of months. And I believe, Georgie, you'll go into the issues with that. Mr. BM was involved in an inquiry at the Royal Melbourne show in September 2013, where he was told by WorkSafe Victoria to check the minimum height with the manufacturer. They ordered the minimum height to be raised for the remainder of that show to 130 centimetres. And so this was a missed opportunity to discover the recommended height of 140 centimetres, because even though they said you need to check, they didn't actually follow up on that and they didn't check themselves. And I find that interesting. Whose duty is it to do? He's just a right employee, right? Yeah. He's not the owner, but I guess you'd still then expect him to pass that on to them. But it's unclear where that duty falls as well. Yeah. Because telling him doesn't seem like the right person to have informed. No, but I guess if the owners went around at the time. You should follow up Who else do you tell? Yeah. Yes. Get in contact with them. The owners reduced the minimum height back to 120 centimetres at the next show. So... They didn't follow it yeah, anyway. They, didn't. they did for that show, but not for subsequent ones. So there was another employee, Ms. B. She was employed as an attendant who mainly worked in the ticker box, but she also worked, worked as the deck attendant, so the one helping people with their harnesses and that sort of thing. She wasn't given any paperwork to study or any written instructions about securing patrons with the harnesses. So even though she was trained, there wasn't any written instructions for her to refer back to. She did have her own standards whereby she wanted the harness to touch the chest of each patron, no matter what their build was, and would push the harness down more on each patron when double checking before the ride started. And from their locking mechanism, the more you push it down, once it's lowered, the way it's designed is that it's meant to stay at the lowest possible position that it's pushed down. Yeah, it's like those lock things, right, where it like slides down and you can't go back. Yeah, which we'll talk in more depth than I ever wanted to learn about <laughs> hydraulics shortly, but that actually is probably the right premise for her to have used yeah, yeah. to lock it further in place for those individuals. Yep. She was also involved in some maintenance of the ride, such as checking bolts on the seat using a torque wrench. Oh, I don't remember that bit. Okay. As yeah, so even though she was right attendant, she I, was involved in some of the maintenance. Yep. I, okay, sure. Yep. Ms. M was hired as an attendant for the Adelaide show and she only had a couple of hours of training before she started working and that included being told the minimum height was 120 centimetres. She was the only deck attendant when Adeline got on the ride and stated that she checked her harness a couple of times. She showed Adeline how to use a crossover grip, holding the harness like a hug. She believed that Adeline didn't speak English, so I don't know what the extent of her instructions to Adeline were Mm -hmm. when she did that. She said she made sure the harness was all the way back, as in as close to Adeline as it could be, and remembered that she'd buckled Adeline's seatbelt. The video of Adeline's ride showed that Ms. M's attention to the ride was poor. She admitted at the inquest that she didn't know at the time that Adeline had been ejected from the ride, so clearly she didn't see Adeline in distress or hanging by her foot. So even when it happened, she didn't realise that it had happened because she wasn't paying attention.
thank you all for listening to part two of Adeline's case. We'll see you all next week for the final chapter of this case, where we continue to discuss the many issues involved and also talk about the aftermath of this incident. <laughs>